Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tin. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know... When we think of streams and rivers and places where tropical fishes reside, we probably think of, you know, flowing water, sandy bottoms, maybe a few branches, some aquatic plants here and there. And while it's quite true that there are certainly many habitats which fit that description, there's many more aquatic habitats that fishes reside in and thrive in in large numbers that are simply sluggish, small branch, leaf and tree trunk choked pools and such stuff like that. Yeah, it's true. The crystal clear, swift-moving water is not always home to this enormous variety of fishes and other aquatic organisms, uh, as opposed to these more placid, densely packed bodies of water, which have a lot of diversity in them, a surprising amount. You ever thought much about how clogged with material some of these natural habitats that we tend to imitate in our aquariums really are? It's kind of interesting, and I've done a little field work over the years, as well as some internet safaris and sort of exploring some of these interesting habitats where our fishes come from, and I've frequently been surprised at just how much stuff is in the water in these locales. And of course, there's a strange disconnect with our interpretation of nature and what's really out there. It makes me think about our aquascapes and how we are seemingly always concerned about having the appropriate amount of negative space, at least from an artistic perspective. I mean, from an aquascaping point of view, I suppose that's quite understandable. And I would imagine that there's an immediately obvious perception that having an aquarium that's not densely packed with materials is somehow more sustainable, healthier, etc. from a practical management standpoint. Like, it's easier to maintain an aquarium that's more open. Or is it? I mean, sure, you can easily get a siphon hose and a more open tank. You can keep detritus in suspension where it can be removed more easily, if that's your sort of thing, of course. On the other hand, if you've made that mental shift to accepting a more natural-looking and functioning aquarium, the amount of material you have in the tank makes little difference. You simply adjust your husbandry you know, practices to accommodate the physical configuration of the aquarium and you go about your business. Now, educating your stuff about the realities of natural habitats rather than strictly modeling our aquariums after other aquariums can really open you up to numerous examples of how these environments foster tons of life forms successfully in quote-unquote configurations that we might not actually associate with you know, dynamic environments. When you take into account the materials that accumulate in these smaller streams, agarapes, flooded meadows, and swamps, a surprisingly large amount of botanical materials, ranging from tree branches, to trunks, to leaves and such, accumulates and takes up a lot of physical space in the aquatic habitat. Not only do these materials take up water volume and physical space, they serve to direct flow, create other hydrodynamic features, etc., etc. They accumulate, they sequester nutrients and food sources for the organisms which reside in these habitats. Very interesting. In the aquarium, a larger volume of, say, driftwood, rocks, and botanicals will not only impart the off-mentioned chemical effects into your water, they'll also similarly, you know, channel flow, create territories, and offer areas of visual interest. And well-managed systems, which are densely packed with wood and botanical materials, can create surprisingly dynamic, ever-evolving displays. And I say evolving. 
there's no doubt analogous to the uh, seasonal evolutions of the underwater landscapes in nature as water is received after the rainy season. They leave a more densely packed assemblage of materials in a given area. For more inspiration, simply look at rainforest floors in tropical regions like Amazonia. After all, this is what's left during the dry season. It gives you some idea of the eventual topography of the underwater landscape when the rains do return. Rains perform that dual function of diluting organics while transporting more nutrient materials across the ecosystem. What happens in many of the regions of Amazonia, for example, is the evolution of our most compelling environmental niches. The water levels in rivers rise significantly, often several meters, and once a dry forest fills with water from the torrential rain and overflowing rivers and streams, the agapos are formed. Flooded forest floors. Yeah, I talk about this habitat incessantly, I know. The formerly terrestrial environment is now transformed into this earthy, twisted, incredibly rich aquatic habitat where fishes have evolved over eons to live in and utilize uh, for food protection and spawning areas. Many of these bodies of water meander through you know, jungles and rainforests, and they're constantly being restocked with leaves, seed pods, branches, and other botanical materials from the surrounding vegetation, some of which are knocked into the water by weather, wind, animal activity, etc. And depending on the velocity of the water, its depth, and, and so forth, they may aggregate right where they fall, or they may re- gradually be redistributed downstream by the current. I can't tell you how amazing this type of habitat is to replicate in the aquarium. I mean... It challenges our aesthetic tastes, our skills at managing closed systems, and our ability to understand the benefits of having all this stuff present in our tanks. Now, I'm not telling that you should that you should fill your tanks to the rim with wood, seed pods, and you know leaves and rocks and stuff like that. Although it does sound like a cool idea, right? I am suggesting that you look into the interesting aesthetics and physical effects that you can create with a more dense skate. You know, attempt to understand the function and the benefits of such a configuration. Experiment. We've already touched on some of the benefits above, and they're analogous to those found in the natural habitats they, you know, attempt to represent. And this is increasingly obvious to all of us who play with botanical-style aquariums. Now, one of the more immediate downsides most hobbyists who are unfamiliar with our practices will jump on is, hey, you know, more stuff in the water means less water volume. You can't have as many fishes in your tank. Absolutely. Sure. Makes sense. On the other hand, less water volume means you could host Fewer fishes and lower population densities of fishes could actually serve to create a more visually engaging display. Not only will there be functional environmental benefits as a result of lower fish populations, you'll probably find some aesthetic ones as well. Now, this reminds me, I remember back in the 1980s through the early 2000s in the reef aquarium side of the hobby where I originally came from, um, we were absolutely obsessed with the concept of live rock as a filter medium. And the prevailing wisdom was that you needed X amount of live rock per given volume of water in a reef tank for it to, prop, you know, to properly function. And it was quite a bit. And of course, the best way to achieve this enormous amount of, of rock you know, in, in a confined space of an aquarium was to create a literal wall of rock. It's something that I've railed on personally for years in my writings and presentations because it looked pretty crazy. Just a wall of rock. Every tank sort of looked like a fruit stand with corals placed on top of it. So I'd be a little bit hypocritical if I was suggesting a wall of botanicals and such. However, I think it would be interesting to play with higher densities of wood and botanicals in some displays to encourage areas of interest. Yes, fascinating aesthetic details, which encourage the observer to really study the aquarium in a more focused way. I think that's pretty cool. Now in nature, all of that botanical material, leaves, branches, seed pods, and such, 
creates the biological operating system for the uh, envi- aquatic environments. And soils, you know, dissolve their chemical constituents and tannins and humic substances and so forth into the water, enriching it. Fungi and microorganisms into multiply. They feed on or break down the materials, bioforms, crustaceans, all these organisms reproduce rapidly. Fishes are able to find new food sources, new hiding places, new areas to spawn. Life just flourishes. So let's get back to that practical aspects again in, in the context of our aquarium. There are some keys to maintaining an aquarium filled with botanicals and, you know, like decomposing leaves and so forth. We know this by now. It's become part of our best practices. You definitely need to do regular maintenance. You don't want to overstock. I mean, common sense stuff. However, in a tank filled with considerable organic material, slightly overstocking and poor husbandry can be problematic. I'll give you that. It's about husbandry and perspective. And it's about accepting the fact that leaves and other natural materials are part of the ecology of the tank and that they will behave as terrestrial materials do when they submerge. They'll break down and decompose. They'll form the basis of a surprisingly complex food chain, which includes bacterial biofilms, fungi, and minute crustaceans. Each one of these life forms supporting to some extent those above it, including fishes. When you think about you know, the botanical material not so much as hardscape props, but as dynamic biological components of a closed microcosm, it all starts to make more sense. And the more material that's present in the system, the greater the fuel available for microbial growth to power the system. And when we add, remove, or supplement more leaves and botanicals and allow others to fully break down in our tanks, we're totally mimicking the natural processes which occur in the streams and rivers around the world. Think about the materials which accumulate in natural aquatic habitats and how they actually end up in them. And it makes you think about this in a very different context, a more holistic context that can make your experience that much more rewarding. Botanicals should be viewed as consumables in our hobby, much like activated carbon, filter pads, etc. They just don't last indefinitely, and you probably want to replenish them to maintain the effects that you're enjoying. And the biofilms and algal growths, which appear on our leaves and botanicals, just as they do in the wild habitats we mimic, you know, they provide not only a degree of biological functionality for our systems, but an evolving aesthetic as well. Embrace these things. Don't fear them. I think that understanding the real designer of our botanical-style aquascapes, Mother Nature herself, will go a long way to helping us do what we do best. We just set the stage. So set the stage and enjoy the random, compelling, and ever-evolving work of art that is the Blackwater Botanical Style Aquarium, started by you, evolved with the steady hand of nature. Look, I adore minimalist stuff, absolutely. It's a neat aesthetic. However, I think it would be interesting and entirely authentic you know, to nature to play with a more complex, heavy-handed scape once in a while. Where it gets really interesting in a large, is in a larger aquarium with a population of smaller fishes dwelling in you know, a complex uh, woodwork, for example. Imagine the allure of a tank heavily choked with thin wood branches like mangrove, manzanita, or spiderwood. Some larger seed pods, some bark, some leaves. By selecting smaller fishes like tetras, pistos, bararas, guarmis, badass corridors, etc., you can maximize the impact by having a fairly high number of fishes in an aquascape that offers a lot less open area. Encouraging these fishes to engage in more natural behaviors like swimming through and foraging among the dense you know, wood and botanical aggregations. If you stock with fishes like Ilacocarax, for example, that are known to inhabit the more densely packed areas of streams and such, or very specific areas like leaf litter zones, you can create a very unique and engaging display in which the fishes won't immediately be evident to the observer. Just like those jungle tanks that I love so much, the deeply planted tanks, a densely stocked botanical aquarium encourages the observer 
to linger and discover the fishes floating or flitting in and out of the, the hardscape. It's pretty cool. Now, like in any botanical aquarium, a more densely packed one will require more thoughtful but not excessive maintenance. You'll simply need to feed carefully, stock thoughtfully, and adhere to the typical tenets of aquarium keeping. There's very little that's actually more difficult to manage about this type of tank than any other when you understand the dynamics. Like any other display, a more densely packed one will find its way developing over time into this intriguing, engaging display that will become constantly evolving, highly engaging, and an oddly refreshing. The appeal of this interesting aesthetic and the practical benefits may or may not be immediately obvious to you. However, I encourage you to you know, consider an aquarium like this for your next project. The good news is that if you find you prefer a more open, open scape, after all, you can just take some of the wood out, take some of the botanicals out until you hit that aesthetic that appeals to you. And even that in itself is not unlike the natural processes of current, tidal movements, etc., which rearrange the natural ecosystems all the time, moving stuff downstream. In the end, turning once again to the incredible, almost infinite portfolio of inspiration that nature provides will steer you in the right direction. If you look through enough natural aquatic ecosystems, uh, you'll eventually be struck by some habitat that speaks to you, that motivates you to replicate it in some way and to share your work with others. You know, will with the precious natural environment subject to so many external forces, perhaps one of the most significant steps we can take to help preserve them is to help others appreciate them by modeling an aquarium after them. The natural beauty of an unusually dense aquarium like the ones we're discussing here may just motivate non-aquarists to take a greater interest in helping preserve and protect these precious natural ecosystems. That's the biggest win of all, isn't it? Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, stay adventurous, stay unique. Stay motivated and always stay wet. This is Scott Feldman. Thanks very much for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.